everyone hears about the victories and the success that all these riders have had, including myself, but it's sometimes a struggle to get there. Um, and I was quite, quite, quite nervous because I felt like that horse needed to win the Derby Finals and, um, and I messed up and I jumped the wrong jump in the handy round, I think. Yeah. Um, so that was quite devastating. You oh, know, wow. as a rider, you really, you really kind of just want to hunker down under a rock and um, never come out. So that was something wow. I sort of had to get through. Welcome to Practical Horseman's new podcast, featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show, which runs every other week, is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Sandy Olenek, and this week's episode is with top hunter rider Liza Boyd. What I love about my discussion with Liza is that when I first spoke with her about doing a podcast earlier this year, she said while it was good to discuss her successes, she also wanted to talk about her experiences when things weren't going so well. And I think she wanted to do this so that you know people who are struggling with their riding, which we all uh, have experienced, um, that they realize that you know, life didn't always go smoothly for even the riders who are now at the top. So about midway through our discussion, Liza talks about the time she knew she had a really good shot to win the USHA International Hunter Derby Championships with Brunello, but instead went off course. And that's something I think we can all relate to it at some level. Liza then talks about dealing with showing nerves in general and shares some of the really helpful tips she's learned over the years about how to manage, manage her nerves. Also in our discussion, Liza shares what she sees riders needing to focus on for better rounds, how she has maintained her health after being diagnosed with a mild form of epilepsy, and how she balances motherhood and a career. To fill you in more on Liza's background, she was born into a horse family. Her father, Jack Towell, is a respected hunter trainer who is in the National Show Hunter Hall of Fame. Her mother, Lisa, is the behind the scenes force in the business who also has a great eye for horses. Her two brothers, Ned and Harden, both ride and Liza herself has had countless wins in the pony and junior divisions uh, while she was growing up. And after that, she took a little time off to go to college before turning pro. After college, in what she calls her graduate school of horses, she worked for several other professional trainers before returning to her family's finally farm in Camden, South Carolina. In Liza's years as a professional, she and Brunello won the USHJ International Hunter Derby Championships three times in 2013, 2014, and 2015. And she is currently the reigning world champion hunter rider in the pro finals, having won it last fall at the Capital Challenge Horse Show in Maryland. And uh, this is an honor she's captured two other times as well. Switching gears for just a moment, I want to share that this podcast episode is brought to you by Absorbing, the horse world's most trusted name for more than 125 years. Your horse deserves the best care, so for all your needs involving muscles and joints, hoof care, fly control, skin and coats, supplements, and leather care, visit Absorbing.com. 
look for savings in their special offer section, which you can find by clicking the menu bar in the upper right corner of the homepage. And you can also find Absorbing on Facebook and Instagram. So now, without further ado, let's jump right into our conversation with Liza, where she starts by talking about why she thinks she has been so successful. Um, I think I've been successful for the um, animals that I've had. You know, that's why we're all here. We're compassionate about the sport and we're compassionate about the animals. And um, I also have a really great um, family that stands behind me. So those are some components that have gone into my success. Mm -hmm. What is it about horses and the sport that's kept you involved for so long? Well, I think that with when you're working with horses, um, there's definitely never a dull moment and you're always learning. And so I think we wake up every morning and we're excited to do our job and we become better horsemen each and every day. And we're thriving to um, keep becoming better horsemen. So I think the animals keep us really involved and um, interested. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that, uh, you know, horses and riding and competing is, is a family uh, family affair, business for you. Um, your family owns Finally Barn um, in Camden, South Carolina. Yep. And your dad is Jack, Jack Towell, a renowned hunter trainer. Um, right. Harden is a jumper rider. I mean, does yeah. different things, but uh, his focus is on Grand right. Prix. Um, and your mom, Lisa, and your husband, Blake. How Can you talk a little bit about uh, how you all work together and how you complement each other? Yeah, and then also, in addition, um, I have another brother that uh, no one knows as much about because he's um, a fox hunter. So he's an avid fox hunter, and um, him and his fiance, uh, his name is Ned, and his fiance is Mary Catherine, and they fox hunt uh, a lot in Camden, South Carolina. Oh, so nice. in addition, that's another piece of the, the Finally Farm team that mm-hmm. has really, really been fun. Um, I think that we, uh, we, we all work well together we all have our strengths and we all um, actually will admit that we do have weaknesses so I think that's probably the biggest key is admitting what you're not good at not always admitting what you're really good at so um, my mom is actually great at picking horses out she's a wonderful eye she's kind of the behind the scenes person spotting Um, my dad's just a great horseman he thinks like a horse Um, Harden is a amazing jumper rider. He's teamed up with Derek Kenny and Oakland Farm. Um, I've learned so much just watching their operation and how they run a business. Um, and um, Katie Wood, my barn manager, she's just a great asset. Um, always a smile on her face and a, an amazing work ethic. So we're all um, working together for, for the results. We all want the same result in the end. What would you say your strength is? I'm not sure you mentioned that. Well, I always leave myself out. I'm the last to, to, to really... Put yourself last. Yeah, I'll, I'll thank my horses. I'll thank my team. I, I'm kind of last to thank, thank myself, but I think I'm a pretty good rider. <laughs> so I'll give myself it's... that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. I've got a good feel for the horse, so that helps. Yeah. What would you say your weaknesses Oh, I'm a pleaser. I think I'm a people pleaser, and sometimes I don't know how to say no. So mm-hmm. I'm working on that. You mm-hmm. know, you can only do so much in one day. Um, but but over the years, I'm getting wiser, and I'm about to turn 40 this year. Oh, milestone. Um, yeah. Interestingly enough, when I sorry, I'm going off topic a little bit. No. But, um, it's great. When I worked for Tom Wright right after college, um, he said to me, I was what early 20s, and he said, Liza, you know. I don't think riders get really great till they're 30. And I 
abs. Well, excuse me, I think I'm pretty good here. <laughs> In my mind, I thought that. But looking back over the years, I, I think he really had a good point. I don't think, I think you, you have the talent, but the managing skills and the business aspect and um, the patience. I really do think, you know, all those pieces to the puzzle don't come together till a little bit later in life, which is, I think, why you see so many riders, um, Ian Miller, Margie, um, at the top of the sport, sort of the wiser with years. Mm -hmm. I was rereading a, an article we did uh, on you and your family uh, in, back in 2009, and you had mentioned that very early on, you know, that you had natural talent, a natural eye, but the technicalities of riding demanded a little bit more work, sort of correct position, strength for holding a two-point, getting the correct diagonal. Can you talk about how you worked on this, you know, on the technicalities? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, again, I've been very fortunate over the years to have some great mentors. Um, I don't think I realized it at the time, but Ronnie Munch helped me a lot when I was nine, ten years old. What a lucky, lucky little kid I was. And I, at the time, I didn't realize who Ronnie Munch was, but he really taught me a lot. Um, Roger Young lived across, lived across the street, and I would go over there every day after school, and Judy and Roger would, would watch. Um, Timmy Keys helped me sort of start putting the pieces together of understanding um, more of the technicality. Tom Wright, Chris Kapler, Sandy LaBelle. I think just you learn a little bit from everybody and then mold and shape it into what works for you. Mm-hmm. But I'm still working on my position, Sandy. <laughs> I guess that's Eyes a never-ending. Heels down. It's never-ending. Um, again, that's what keeps us so um, enthusiastic about the sport. We're still learning. We're still trying to get better. I did a little without stirrups work with my daughter yesterday. A little sore the next day, but it's good. I need to do more. <laughs> um, and you mentioned you went to a college, a college of Charleston. Right. And uh, you joined a sorority. Uh, you graduated, I guess, I believe with a degree in psychology. Yep, that's right. Um, why did you mentioned your mom's influence in that, but uh, I guess, why did you feel it, like going to college was important? I don't think I really realized it until I took a gap year after I was aging out in the juniors. I took a gap year and came to Wellington and realized that I was kind of at the, I went from the top of being a junior top rider to sort of the bottom. There's a lot of really good professionals out there. Um, and I think I recognized that I wanted to take a break for a little while. Um, and it was, it was great. I made some of my best friends and I joined Chi Omega sorority and just did a lot of fun things. And still to this day, they're some of my best friends that are non-horsey people. From the 2009 article, you had said that initially you hadn't planned to ride in college, but uh, that after a little while, you maybe you couldn't stay away and you started riding at a I nearby did. farm. Yeah, I struggled a little bit on Saturday mornings, laying around on the couch all day and um, just, just always having to be somewhere early in the morning and with work ethic. I, um, I started teaching lessons at a farm in, um, in Charleston, and I also really miss being around the animal when you're with horses your whole life and then you're not, you really do, they, they give you a lot of um, positive energy and I missed it. So it was good to um, have that. So after college, I believe you initially rode for a few other uh, 
barns before returning to to your home base. Um, I guess, can you talk a little bit about that and why you felt that was important? Yeah, I would say that was sort of graduate school in the horse world for me to get out and get exposure from other other trainers and see how other operations are run and what you like and what you dislike and, and what you want to come back and do. Um, I worked for Scott Kimry up in Long Island for a little bit, and that was fun to be in a different area. Everything's a little bit more fast-paced in the Northeast, so that was good for me. Um, I came back and I worked for Sandy LaBelle and rode for her in Ocala, and she's a wonderful, wonderful horsewoman, and I learned so much from her. Um, moving on to um, Tom Wright, who's, who's amazing. I, I, I think that he really taught me how to create roundness and suppleness in a horse that makes the difference from a score of 85 to a brilliant 92. Um, and uh, I got some jumper lessons from Chris Kapler, which was great exposure. And then I realized sort of everything that maybe I was missing was right there in my backyard at my house. So my, my dear friend Erin Ballard, who I grew up mm -hmm. riding with, she said, she said one day, Liza, I, I think it's been a great experience for you, but all the little things you say you're missing are right at your parents' farm. So it was the right time to go back and go back to the family business. We spoke a little bit about Harden, and, and I, is it accurate to say he focuses on Grand Prix and you focus on hunters? Yes. Yeah. Okay. But he could really probably give me a riding lesson in the hunter ring if he came back. Yeah. <laughs> He's quite good, um, and I think he would be a really excellent derby rider, but... Um, his passion is in the jumper ring. Right. Why would you say your passion is in the hunter in it ring? And if so, why, what is it about the hunters that you like? I think that in the jumper ring, I really, really appreciate what they do. I love to watch the jumpers. I love to watch Saturday Night Lights. I actually like to do the jumpers at a certain level, probably up to about meter 30, I think makes me a better hunter rider. Give me a little competitive edge, slicing the jumps a little bit tighter, going a little bit faster in the time allowed. Um, but hunters is what I'm good at. That's what I've done my whole life. Um, I like being smooth and um, the derbies just sort of fulfilled that gap that maybe I was missing. I did try to do the Grand Prix for a little bit and, and had some nice success at a at a national level. But once the derbies came out, I really found my niche there, and that's what I really love to do. And I'm, you know, been lucky to have some nice horses and do it. Great. Um, and then looking at the rereading that the 2009 article we did, um, you said uh, the challenge a challenge with with every horse is quote figuring out the exact kind of ride you need to get that perfect jump you're always working on yourself because the horse is not going to change you can work on their weaknesses but at the end of the day I think you need to go into the ring and sort of adapt to them I, I thought that was a really interesting quote it sort of seemed like there was a, a balance between strengthening their weaknesses but not changing them too much is that still your philosophy and can you talk about that a little yeah, I think they're all individuals and they're like us. They, they have strengths and weaknesses. Um, but at the end of the day, when you're in that show ring, you better meet them in the middle, right? That's I think a good point. I, if, and I, I like to have a little good cop, bad cop. Uh, Katie, who works for me, is, a, is physically stronger than I am. So if they are a bit tough in the jaw, I will have her flat them and get them a little looser and a little lighter for me. But at the end of the day, I have to figure out what the horse likes and sort of listen to to them. 
Could you talk a little bit about some of the most important or influential or favorite horses that you've ridden? You've, you've had so many nice ones, but uh, just who who affected you the most or your career? Or... I, and I think that is a little bit all about timing as well, because sometimes I think that a horse, Monday morning, for example, the thoroughbred off the track, only did one lead change, only knew how wow. to do a left to right. Um, I think he landed right twice in my career, and I think I just did a simple change. I didn't even fight with him. One time was in Wellington, and one time was at the National Horse Show. I can't believe I still remember this to this day. Um, that particular horse, if I would have had him probably in my 20s, I might have tried to make him learn his right lead to left lead change. And um, so, so it's all about timing. I was a kid when I had him. I just sort of chucked the reins and, and rode him the way he wanted to be ridden. Um, but that how did, you, how did you work uh how did you do the change or did you, did you have to make sure you landed on the lead uh, he, or... he just always landed on the left lead oh okay um and so that was just sort of the way he way he did it and uh, people prior to us had tried to teach him his lead changes and if they couldn't do it there's no way I was going to be able to do it because they were stronger and probably better at lead changes than I was um so I just let that horse be who he wanted to be and he appreciated me for it. Now, being a little bit older, maybe a little bit cockier, I might try to train Monday morning to do his right to left lead changes and the end result might not have been as good. So mm -hmm. a lot is about timing in life. That horse came into my life at the right time. Um, you know, another obviously Brunello. Brunello was supposed to be for Harden to show. Caroline Clark Morrison, an amateur that rode with us, purchased the horse in Europe and Harden was actually going to show him. And fortunately, I rode him first when he got out of quarantine and never, never gave him back. Um, <laughs> How does Harden feel about that? Um, I think he just, he lived vicariously through all of those derby wins and, and was okay with it in the end. Mm -hmm. um, so he's, you know, uh, actually a horse of a lifetime that that I'll never, you know, replace that horse. Um, so, and Brunello, um, speaking about, uh, you know, he won the, the USHA International Hunter Derby um, three times, uh, three consecutive times. Um, can you talk about those wins? You know, the, I think your dad um, in an article had said that the first and second times, um, other horses had made mistakes. So that's why he rose to the top. And then the third time he was he was on the top or you were both on the right. top right. um maybe just talk a little bit about what the wins meant to you and walk us through each year and and I think you talked about the pressure building too for uh, sure yeah that I did a lot of derbies with him um the one year was actually the one year that it was in the indoor ring hmm. um I think okay. at the WEG they were setting up for the WEG in the Rolex ring and he was third that year which was good um the next year I was quite nervous, and, and that's something that you and I have talked about before. You know, everyone hears about the victories and the success that all these riders have had, including myself, but it's sometimes a struggle to get there. Um, and I was quite, quite, quite nervous because I felt like that horse needed to win the Derby Finals, and, um, and I messed up, and I jumped the wrong jump in the handy round, I think. Yeah. Um, so that was quite devastating. You oh, know, as wow. a rider, you really, you really kind of just want to hunker down under a rock and um, never come out. So that was something wow. I sort of had to get through. I talked to Margie Sugarman. Um, that's why I studied psychology in college, because I talked to Margie as a um, 
junior rider and and this sport is really a mind game wow. and it, i'm sorry is she a sport psychologist yep, she is, okay she is okay, yeah wow. um, there's so many riders at the top of the sport so at the you know at the end of the day you better have a clear mind and be confident and focused and um you know it's hard to get to the top i tell some of my students i think it's even harder to stay at the top so that leads us back into brunello once he won the first year that was great we were um a little bit of the i want to say we were coming back maybe third or fourth going into the handy which is almost an easier place for me to be sitting because you can go for it it's all or none it's derby finals you're gonna go for it you're gonna try to get a hundred and if you mess up getting there then Okay, I'd already been third before. I was really trying to win. So I went for it and I won the first year. The second year, I had just had Adeline, my second daughter. So I had only had her about three months before. So again, going back to the mental aspect of the sport, I kept telling myself, oh, just try to be top 10. You'll be happy with top 10. You just had a baby. And then as we would get closer and closer, maybe a few weeks before the finals, I said, well, top five. Top five would be good. Let's do top five. And then a little closer, maybe a couple days before. Well, you want to do top three. You won last year. But again, I wasn't putting as much pressure on myself because in the back of my mind, I think that you can say you have a little bit of a crutch or an excuse if you don't win to yourself. Only yourself. You're beating yourself at, at, at this sport. Jack wasn't going to be mad. You know, Alberto, his groom, wasn't going to be mad. But at that point, I just had to make sure that um, I didn't beat myself. So it was a men really a mental, a mental game. game. It really Just, is. Mm -hmm. um, so I went. I was quite relaxed that year, and then actually won again. So that was a huge surprise um, to win two years in a row, especially after having a baby. The third year, I don't think I've ever been so nervous in my life going back in because now I've won it twice, and I'm going. I've won the first round, the hunter so round, and now I have to stay on top. And I would actually prefer being the underdog where I can just go and move up to the top. So in the schooling area, I remember saying, I just can't get myself together. I'm the only one who can mess this up. Brunello should just go in there without the saddle on and he could win it by himself. I am the only one who could mess this up. So I sort of had to talk myself out of that and get right, not back in yourself. sync. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I was quite nervous. I still won. I don't think I probably rode him as well as I had in, in other years. He's an exceptional horse. And, and when you have a really, really, really great horse, you have a little bit more room for error than you do on an average horse. So he made up for my slack that year and we won. And I said, you know what? We're not ever going back. We're done. We've won this three times. We're done. Finish yeah. on top. Yeah. At the, yeah. At the I, I did him in some other classes. I did him in Tryon and a few other places, but at that point he didn't owe me anything. And, um, and now he's a, he's a trail horse. He gets ridden Western. He fox hunts and, um, and he just has a, a great retired life. That's super. Um, how did you go from uh, sort of the negative self-talk to to in the ring like what did you hit, tell yourself something about I'm the only one who can mess this up how did you get yourself to stop thinking that or did you not and you, yeah because I think out. sometimes we, we overthink things so you just have to sort of ride off feel and stop thinking um, the minute I walked in the ring I went back to just riding off feel and I, I, I did stop I got out of my head mm -hmm. um, and um you know, I do things like I do a lot of, I work on some breathing exercises that I learned in a yoga class that just takes me away from thinking about 
what I not, you know, need to do or not need to do and just work on my breathing and just trying to think positive. Another thing that Margie taught me years ago is to just sit back or walking around in the schooling area, envision and see yourself jumping the course perfectly. And I think that just gives your positive outlook on the course and everything's positive. And then when you walk in, you almost feel like you've already jumped the course once because you've seen yourself and you've rehearsed it in your mind quite a few times. So that's something that works for me, as well as breaking the courses up into um, three parts and having a bit of a checklist in my brain where I'll say, okay, I'll do one, two, three, bending line. Okay, check, you did that. Now take a moment, do the trot jump, do the roll back. Okay, you did that, take a moment, and then hang out at the last jump, and then you check that off. So that helps me just break the course up. And that's as you're riding Yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, it's as, my, as I'm you're riding. I'm saying sort of going, your head. I'm telling okay. myself in my head, and I think that keeps me from jumping ahead and thinking too fast and just slowing my mind down, even though I'm not slowing my pace down, I'm just keeping my mind slow. And I think that helps the animal, the horse as well, take their time a little bit and not, you know, fall in a corner or get quick in the air. So um, that's just a little trick that works for me. Yeah. And just going back to the breathing, when you're talking about breathing, do you do that in the schooling area or as you're walking in the ring? Um, I do that in the schooling area. Okay. I'm probably in the in gate a little bit, not not when I'm in the show ring. And I also, before a big class, I, 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 I seek a little bit of solitude and I go off by myself. I've learned that works better for me just to go um, sit in the golf cart. And I always eat something and my friends laugh at me they're like class is stuffing her face before a big class but it's just good healthy food just good little snacks so I have a little protein and some energy and then just quiet time um, and I can just focus on myself and so I think if you can give yourself a little time sometimes I'll even just come sit in the car and close my eyes and try to take a little nap but um, I think it gives me that little extra energy that I need, that little fight that I need to to try to get the 90 and the 92. Mm-hmm. So that's something that could even work, you know, well for anyone, but like even amateurs who maybe, you know, work during the week or, you know, work and then even come to the barn and feel rushed during the ride or yeah. just kind of yeah, just settle. Sort of deflate, settle a little bit. Um, I think it. I think it's great for amateurs. I tell my my juniors to do it sometimes because you're up at the ring and you're talking to your friends and you're so busy and you don't realize that sometimes you mentally wear yourself out. So you have to stay mentally sharp for the sport, physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. And do you do that like after you've looked at the course, or is it like before the class begins? Um... Uh, for a championship like the derby finals, I'll, I'll sort of um, check out about noon. And, and my dad knows, Katie knows, they kind of know that they better be ready to take on a little bit more workload that afternoon because Liza's probably going to check out a little bit mm-hmm. early that day. So like if the derby was at night or in yeah, the afternoon? Yeah, if the derby was at night, I'll, okay. just, I'll just maybe, um, you know, try to sneak back to the hotel for a minute. And, and this doesn't happen very often because typically we're, you know, we've got customers showing and we're busy. It's mainly for for a really big event, but even for um, a smaller derby, I'll I'll try to give myself at least a 30 minute window, just a little sort of Liza time focusing. Um, And mainly a little bit before, but mainly after I walk the course, Mm -hmm. I'll do it as well. And then I just sort of go over the course in my mind, like Margie had taught me years ago.
We spoke about the, the Hunter Derby uh, Championships. Um, you've also won the World Champion Hunter Rider Pro Finals at the Capital Challenge Horse Show three times, uh, most recently last fall. Uh, can you, one, just talk about the format of this class? It's a little bit different than other classes. Yeah, it is, Sandy. It is um, a little different. In the end, you actually come back and all the riders end up riding four horses that they've never set on before that have been donated by somebody and um, you just hop on you get to jump a couple jumps in the schooling area on your first horse and then after that you just hop on them in the end gate and and go right in so it's a real it's a real catch riding class right. which I did a lot of as a kid so I've had a lot of experience doing that um, I don't do as much now I think the the older I've gotten, I kind of want to know my horse a little bit before I, I go into the ring. Um, but this is a great class, and it's fun for the audience. It's live stream now, so a lot of a lot of people watch. And you know, there's there's mistakes. We chip, we mess up, and I think it's a little bit like reality TV. Everyone likes to watch that excitement. Um, for me, it was a struggle in the beginning. As a young professional, I, I had tears after that class. I said really? I said to my mom at one point, I never want to do that class again. I'm not good at it. Um, I would get really, really, really nervous. And, and these horses feel it. These animals know when you're mm -hmm. nervous. So this year when I won, the next day, um, Tom Wright came to me and he said, Liza, you really got that class figured out now. And I thought, oh, do I? How do I have it figured out? And and the way I think I have it figured out is I just stayed super relaxed. Hmm. And I okay. think that made the horses relaxed. And I stayed calm and relaxed and I actually just had fun this year. I didn't put a lot of pressure on myself. Uh, and it was, um, it's a fun class. There's so many good riders. It, every year it changes a little bit, but it's a, it's a good class. So do you just tell yourself, have fun, or just do you start to feel yourself building building up and then you can stop that or really we're just relaxed going into it or not relaxed but mentally having the idea of having fun yeah and I think once you've won it once I'm sure Scott Stewart Peter Pletcher I'm sure all these other John French has won it a lot of times I think once you've won it you kind of feel like okay now I have that I have that that's like the gold medal individual gold medal for for hunter riders I'm the world champion hunter rider you have that you're confident in yourself and then you go back and you just you just try to have fun um, but we all are competitive I mean we get down there and, and we all want to win and we want to be the reigning world champion hunter rider but if we're not that year as long as we don't make any really big mistakes and chip we kind of all say that to each other then, then we're happy just to be a part of it mm -hmm. but no one wants to be embarrassed and, and chip in front of your clients on tv but it does happen <laughs> <laughs> and um, good point about, you know, just getting on uh, horses you haven't ridden before. Um, how, how do you, do you have any tricks for getting used to them so quickly over just a few fences? Well, another piece of this class actually is a bit luck of the draw. So if you get the okay. spooky horse and you go first, then you might not win that year. But if you get the spooky horse and you get to ride it last and he's not spooky anymore, or if you get the horse that's a little tired or not very careful, and then you have to ride him last and he's really uncareful because he's jumped the course a few times. So it is a bit of a luck factor. So it's a little luck of the draw. So I've gotten um, a little bit of a lucky draw. Mm -hmm. So it is really like reality it is. TV for horses. It really for is. Horses yeah, competing. I think so. I think so. Um, another component to it is you do ride your own horse in a handy, and that's what helps you qualify for the final 
okay. four. Okay. Um, this year they had six of us that did the handy round, and you do that, and then the final four from that qualify. So it's it's a neat format, and it's it's fun to follow. You really watch a lot, and you try to you you have spotters that are that are in the stands or on the sidelines that are saying to you, oh that horse just shifted a little left with Tori Colvin you know, it has a bit of a drift or that horse looks like it has a little bit of a hard lead change. Scott Stewart did a really good job getting that change. Don't take it for granted. Hmm. So that's okay, so you're... really what you're doing is you're relying on your, your, your spotters and your, your team okay. to help you out. So a bit of a team effort. It is. It is. And I always listen, um, to, to the grooms that are taking care of their horse because who knows the horse better than someone who lives with the horse and brushes them and mucks their stall and leads them to the ring. So I always quiz the, the grooms a lot. I hope that's not illegal. <laughs> <laughs> Your secret's out. Yeah, my secret's out. But um, I ask them a lot of questions about their horse. Good. And that's Very good point. Yep. We talked a little bit about um, handling your nerves. Um, anything else about do you get nervous and... and any other thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I still get nervous. I was nervous yesterday, WEF1, the first class I went in. And it's just about managing your nerve. Nerves are good if they're directed in the right direction and handled the right way. I think if I didn't get nervous, I don't know if I would be as talented as I am. I think the nerves um, sometimes, again, managed in the right direction can can make the horse also, you know, step up to the occasion. If I'm a little blase and not nervous, then maybe he's going to be a little blah and rub a jump. So again, managing your nerves and everyone manages them differently. It's just learning how to manage your own. Um, and now talking a little bit about training and coaching, um, when teaching your students, is uh, do you find yourself seeing either people making, you know, especially amateurs making a similar mistake, or is there something you like to work on, an important skill that you think is, is critical sort of for a good foundation? I think going back to what Ronnie Munch taught me as a little kid, he said finding a jump is having the right pace, balance, and track. And I think if you go back and you just follow his simple words, you're going to be able to find a distance if your horse is, you know, not going too fast or not going too slow or not cutting the corner. Um, and if their balance is correct, if the horse is low or your balance is off or if you're standing up in the saddle too much or if you're behind the motion. So keeping it simple but sticking to the basics and not altering from what you're program is and not changing it up and, and just really keeping it simple, riding the straight line after the jump, landing and pushing the horse away from the jump, and then always coming back to that medium canter. And every horse's medium canter is going to be a little bit different. But as the course goes, I think a lot of us do it and kids do it and young horses do it. They get on their forehand and they get going a little bit too fast. So just always coming back to the medium canner is, is one thing that I work on a lot with my clients. Mm -hmm. So it's not even so much, uh, you know, the, the phrase, you know, not seeing your distance. It's, it's almost focusing on those three qualities first. Yeah. And that took me a little while to really understand what Ronnie was meaning. And I think maybe I was teaching a clinic once and I thought that's what Ronnie meant. 
you're not, you're, you don't all of a sudden go from having a good eye to a bad eye the next day, but maybe one day you were feeling a little bit stronger and you were using your leg and you had a better leg to hand connection with your horse. So your pace was better. So therefore you found your distances better. So if you can just go back to thinking about that, then the jumps are going to work out. Um, we've talked a little bit about the, the Hunter Derbies and, um, you know, I think initially when they started, it was uh, um, something the professionals did or uh, a little bit more the, the A circuit elite riders, but uh, there are more and more opportunities. The USHJA has introduced outreach derbies and pony derbies, and I think uh, some even some local competitions are, are starting to, to do them. Um, you're obviously a big proponent of them. Why do you think derbies are sort of for everyone? Derbies are exciting and they're just something a little bit different. Um, you can challenge yourself, you can go a little faster, you can be a little bit handier. So I think it's for the audience. I think it's a bit more fun. Um, and for all the levels of riding, I mean, they're they're huge. Like you said, the local shows sometimes have 30, 40 and they're two foot or two foot six derbies. Um, I, I think they're one thing you maybe the fanciest horse doesn't always win so it gives somebody that might not be able to go by the best moving fanciest looking hunter in the country but maybe they're a really good handy rider and they can turn tight and they're um they're technical and it gives them maybe a little a class that they can go in on their horse that maybe isn't quite as fancy for the regular division so I think it's a, a, a great thing and I think it's given a lot of horses a spot that might not have had a, um, a career if it wasn't for the derbies last uh, summer you were second and third in the uh, USHJ International Hunter Derby Championship with Clemens and Tradition um, and we did a follow-up article in Practical Horsemen just about derbies in general and you said that derbies they certainly challenge the top tier of riders but that they also teach amateurs and kids new skill sets uh, you said you have to be a strong rider you cannot just sit and look pretty you have to be effective which is what riders should be anyway we should look like ballerinas but ride as strong as football players and I, I love that quote um, you know sort of speaks to not posing um, to me anyways yeah. but yeah. Uh, can you just elaborate on that what you what you meant by that yeah I think that George Morris and the people you know the founders of the derbies I think they wanted that I think they wanted to see strong effective um, you know if the hunters play a little bit on the backside that's okay and they don't have to go around like robots um, but we all want to be smooth and and like you said that I said look like a ballerina be be strong and effective but at the very top of the sport when you're watching the World Equestrian Games and you're watching McLean ride around and Laura Kraut or here at WEF when I'm watching BZ Madden, they could all come and, and beat me in a derby in a second. You know, that's how they ride at the top level. They ride those horses around beautifully with perfect style. So I think that it's something we should all keep focusing on is our style, but also, like you said, not posing and being effective and stylish, but, um, getting the job done at the same time mm -hmm. so like form follows function right exactly yep great 
Um, switching gears a little bit, you were diagnosed with mild epilepsy in college. Um, how does that affect you and how do you manage that? I was diagnosed with juvenile myoclonic epilepsy, JME, um, in college. And, um, you know, everybody, I think, has something that you have to manage with your health. And um, I think it's made me more conscientious about my diet, my health, um, eating well, managing my time, and just making sure I get plenty of rest. I'm very fortunate that what I have is... Um, is managed with, with just taking good care of myself. So eating right, um, trying to stay away from a lot of sugar and going to bed early. And um, it probably actually has helped me take better care of myself. So maybe it happened for a reason. I read that you and your family raised money for the Epilepsy Foundation of America. Can you talk a little bit about that and why that's important? Yeah, I think it's good to to give back, and I think any kind of charity that is is close to your heart is a is a good one to um, to be involved in. Um, we're actually going to have a fundraiser this year at the Blowing Rock Charity Horse Show this summer, and we're going to raise money for the athletes versus epilepsy. Um, and my mom and my brother Ned are quite involved in in that, so um, we're looking forward to that event this summer. So, Liza, do you want to talk about, I believe you uh, had raised money, you have an interesting story behind, um, you, were, you woke up one morning and you ended up calling the owner of the horse to say if you won a class that you would donate the money towards uh, the Epilepsy Foundation or one of the charities that you work with. Yeah, that's right, Sandy. It was... Um it was 2018. It was actually Easter morning, and I was driving to the horse show that day just thinking about how lucky and how grateful I am to um, to have these animals and, and have a family. And, and I was just thinking that there's people out there that aren't as fortunate as I am. And I thought to myself, if, if I win this derby today, um, I really want to give the winnings to the Epilepsy Foundation. So the stars all aligned, and I ended up winning the class. Um, and when the last one was going, I called um, the horse's owner, Sam Edelman, and I said, do you want the good news or the bad news? I said, the good news is we're currently winning. The bad news for you is that I made this little pack with myself that we would give the winnings to the Epilepsy Foundation. Uh, I hope you're okay with that. And he said, 100% lies, it's done. And um, Sam's great. He, he's, you know, sent the money there and... Um, it was just, it's just a nice way to give back. I think it, we're, we're lucky to do what we do. And, um, I was just really grateful that Sam was on the same page I was. <laughs> Great. That's wonderful. Um, now we've talked a little bit about, uh, you've got your two daughters, uh, Elle and Adeline. And, um, can you just talk about, uh, them, maybe their ages and if they're interested in horses? Yeah, Elle is nine years old, and she's currently doing the small ponies, and we're, we're having a really, a really good time, and um, I love watching her progress. And Adeline is just about to turn five, and she also likes to ride, but she told us in her little four-year-old graduation that she was going to take up dressage as her career. So, yeah, so we'll see where that takes her. <laughs> So at least she's she's interested in horses. She said she's just not going to jump. She's going to do dressage. So I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> so that's fascinating. How how um, at five would she the dressage riders going to be thrilled with that? But I, is that something you guys talk about, or is just being around horses? Does she? I guess I don't 
think I know many five-year-olds who say, would say that. <laughs> well, you know how these how young children are sponges, and my sister-in-law. Um, does dressage and she came in town from Wyoming and she was helping Elle and uh, she was helping her a little bit with dressage so I think Adeline thought that was really cool and wants to to be like her her aunt Margie so um that would be fun yeah <laughs> we'll be expanding the bases um how do you juggle or balance motherhood and work oh well that would be because of my husband Blake He's awesome, and he's Mr. Mom, and he um, he just does so much for our family and allows me to to do the sport um, at this high level and, and travel. And, you know, even in, when we're all together in Florida, we come home, and Blake has dinner ready. Um, he was actually out of town for one week in Florida, and the girl said, Mom, what's for dinner? And I said, it's make your own dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and we all had cereal. So um, Blake is definitely the glue that, that holds us all together. And, and without him, you know, I couldn't do what I do. So it's, it's, great. it's great. Um, but it's also nice that the girls are um, interested in, in riding and want to be at the horse show. And Blake does equine insurance. So he can be around a good bit and be part of, part of the business as well. Yeah. Um, and how do you, I, I think you've said before, you know, just part of the balancing is, is talking a lot, you know, both talking with the girls, you know, in the evenings and making sure you have a little bit of family time whenever possible, kind of the, um, maybe the quality versus quantity. Yeah. And that's not always easy. And I think that probably is the same case for, for anybody in any business is just shutting your brain down at night and turning your cell phone off and not worrying about, you know, the horse that, why did that horse, you know, rub that jump today? Or why did, you know, just stop and be present and be in the moment and enjoy the girls and, and my husband and just turn work off. And I'm not really good at that. So I'm, I'm trying to work on that every day and get a little bit better at that. <laughs> what advice would you tell your younger self, you know, looking back through everything you've done and I think I would say uh, to, um, you know, patience is key, you know, don't get in a hurry. This is a, a forever career. So if things aren't working great, you're not reaching your goals or your expectations right that moment when you're 25, it will come. Just keep working hard and, um, and be patient and, and it will happen. Just, you know, stay focused and stay positive. Great. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your joining us. Thanks, Sandy. Bye. Thank you for listening to Practical Horseman's podcast. I really appreciate your feedback. So if you have time, please rate and review the show. And join us again in two weeks where upcoming conversations are with top Canadian eventer, Selena O'Hanlon, dressage Olympian, Allie Brock, top U.S. eventer, Matt Brown, and hunter, rider, and trainer, Tom Brennan. You can subscribe to our podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening.